Hopes for change in Thailand's relationship with Myanmar's junta have been dashed as the Move Forward party, this summer's election winners, are relegated to the opposition. When Move Forward came into the scene, a lot of friends of mine from, from Myanmar, they were really excited about Move Forward's policy on, on Myanmar and the optimism was always, was always there, you know. But it will be very difficult for Move Forward now um, to pursue any optimistic policy on, on Myanmar. Regime officials say the Myanmar-China Economic Corridor is back on track for completion. We hear about this important node in China's Belt and Road Initiative. I think I would say overall that this is one of China's main interests in Myanmar. And it's one of the reasons they're so invested in, in the country and, and, and paying so much attention to it. And I think China, despite the instability, despite the junta's incompetence, they're making this bet that the junta will, will come out on, the, on top at the end. And, and I think the Chinese really want to push this forward. And ethnic violence continues in the northeastern Indian state of Manipur. Some have blamed that fighting on groups in neighboring Myanmar. We see if there is any connection between these two conflicts. So what we are seeing essentially is that this entire issue, this refugee crisis, uh, it's been it's been it's been completely weaponized in a way by the Imphal government to 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 shore up maintain nationalism you know to 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 bolster their own political narrative about Manipur being under threat and them stepping into protecting Manipur. But first, we'll have a rundown of this week's news from the Irrawaddy. You are listening to the Irrawaddy newscast, a transmission of conflict and culture from inside and outside Myanmar. The junta expelled East Timor's top diplomat from Yangon this week. Last month, the small Southeast Asian country's president met with the civilian national unity government's foreign minister. East Timor, set to join the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, has expressed support for the NUG and democracy in Myanmar. Myanmar's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the country was encouraging terrorism. Hunza Security Services arrested the chair and four members of the Myanmar Edible Oil Dealers Association. They are accused of violating price controls. The cost of some basic commodities has at least doubled since the 2021 coup. That includes rice, which the junta has also set price caps on. Meanwhile, reports say households in Yangon townships are increasingly reliant on charity groups for food. Two Singaporeans admitted in court to illegally selling a Norwegian-made sonar system later acquired by the Myanmar Navy. That's from a report by the Straits Times. And junta chief Min Online told a cabinet meeting to more closely regulate aid groups in the country. That comes as one-third of Myanmar is in need of humanitarian assistance. Last October, new laws gave the regime power to more easily dissolve NGOs, confiscate their property, and imprison those working in the sector. Thai politics seem a world away from this summer's electoral victory by the Move Forward Party. That party ran on challenging the power of Thailand's monarchy and military. Its leader also signaled policy shifts towards Myanmar. Many hoped that would end the cozy relationship between Myanmar's junta and Thailand's government. But a coalition made up of Poi Thai and military-aligned parties has pushed the Move Forward Party into the opposition. Poi Thai leader and former Prime Minister Thaksan Shinawatra has returned to Thailand from self-imposed exile. Although immediately arrested, the Thai king this week reduced his sentence from eight years to one year. 
what does this all mean for Thailand's relationship with Myanmar's junta and the increasing number of refugees near the border? I spoke to Dr. Lalita Hanwang about that. She's a Southeast Asian history lecturer in Bangkok. She first described what the political landscape now looks like in Thailand. This election was a tool for poor Thai party's leadership, uh, including Thaksin Shinawat, to be back to Thailand after 17 years um, in exile. Okay, in, in Thai language, we have this expression that uh, Thaksin's party and Thaksin himself, they are making love with uh with uh, with the conservative clique meaning that you know they they were or they were already in talk they they already talked to each other elites um military people um army leadership business tycoon and all this you know so so they they were they were already in conversation even before the election that Thaksin would return uh to Thailand um, that Pur Thai Party would kick move forward party out of the, the government coalition and so on. So um, I think number two, uh, the second thing that we have to understand is that right now in Thailand we only have two groups or um, two categories of uh, of political parties. Number one is uh, pro junta, pro military semi-democratic, you know, like the uh, Thai Party and the rest, like Pum Jai Thai um, and other parties that formed um, the former government. And then we have the rest, uh, which is only the Move Forward Party and another small party called Ben Tham uh, and part of the Democrat Party as well. So things are pretty complicated, basically. It, it 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 sounds overwhelming, um, but in a way, I think that the the picture of Thai politics right now is so clear um, that it's heading towards the you know the dichotomy um, between pro democratic, um, aka move forward party, and anti democratic pro capitalist um, Thai party and their alliance. Do we know how the Poi Thai government will treat Myanmar's junta or deal with issues like Myanmar refugees in Thailand? The policy of Poi Thai Party has never been has never emphasized on on Myanmar whatsoever. Okay, I I've never heard them saying or mentioning anything about um the human hu, humanitarian crisis in Myanmar. I've I've never heard them talking about this before. Uh, you know, to be fair. We have to let them work first. Uh, we we have to give them at least a couple of months uh, so that they can they can prepare their agenda on on Myanmar. Uh, I think that what's going on in Myanmar right now is is critical, and it's it's very serious um, uh, for Thailand as well. We have you know influx of hundreds of thousands, or we will have influx of hundreds of thousands refugees coming from Myanmar this year or maybe next year. So the foreign minister has to do something about it. People were hopeful after the Move Forward Party's victory in the polls. It seems like this will be a disappointment for those wanting a shift in Thai foreign policy towards Myanmar. And we'll see basically a continuation of the status quo in this relationship. That's right. Because Move Forward wants to target at the army, you see, they they want to reduce or decrease the, 
decrease the status quo of the army. And when it comes to the Thai army, it always has something to do with the Myanmar army and SAC, you know. You know, as long as Pur Thai Party doesn't touch upon the army at all, I don't think that their relationship with SAC will change much. Um, you're you're quite right. Um, when Move Forward came into the scene, um, a lot of friends of mine from from Myanmar they were really excited about uh Move Forward's policy on on Myanmar, and the optimism was always was always there. You know, when Pita said something about about Myanmar, you know, when when he won the election, uh, my Facebook Messenger inbox was like. Um, it exploded with uh, comments from my Myanmar friends uh, because they were like, wow, this guy is so cool. Wow, this guy, you know, the first time um, that he's giving a speech to the media, he's talking about us. He's talking about Myanmar. But yeah, uh, it, it will be very difficult for Move Forward now um, to pursue any optimistic policy on, on Myanmar um, as long as they are in office as uh, the opposition party. That was Dr. Lalita Hanwang, a lecturer in Bangkok. According to a junta commerce minister, Myanmar and China will be going ahead with the planned China-Myanmar Economic Corridor. That's a crucial part in Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. The plan is to connect China's Yunnan province with economic hubs in Myanmar and finally a port in Rakhine State. The first of three zones to be developed is in northern Shan State on the Chinese border. That area has seen heavy fighting recently between junta troops and the Tong National Liberation Army. I spoke with Lucas Myers about these projects. He's a researcher at the DC think tank Wilson Center. He first explained the importance of these proposed economic corridors. Essentially, it connects uh, Yunnan province in China to the Indian Ocean through uh, Rakhine State. Now, this is essentially, uh, you have to view this within the broader strategic context of um, the majority of, of international shipping goes through the Malacca Straits, including about 80% of China's imported oil. And so the Chinese are very nervous about this choke point. And so they're looking for ways to create new infrastructure routes that can bypass this uh, Malacca Strait. And one of these is the China-Myanmar Economic Corridor. This was initiated in 2018 with an MOU between Myanmar and, and China um, and re-upped in 2020 during Xi Jinping's visit to Myanmar. Obviously, the coup in 2021 upended plans, and there's been significant delays as a result of the country's instability. Uh, but now, as China and the junta are growing closer, and the junta is likely eager to show progress to the Chinese in order to continue receiving their support. So these include infrastructure projects, but also free trade zones. Is that right? That's correct. Really, you should see this as a large package of investments. The infrastructure element of it is likely the most strategically significant for the Chinese. But there's also power generation, you know, power plants, special economic zones, you know, the deep sea, a deep water port at, at Kakpu. Um, and, and like you said, these free trade um, areas uh, along the border with China. Um, and really what this is overall trying to do, in, in addition to the strategic element, is connect the Myanmar and China economically. Uh, China's economic strategy in Southeast Asia writ large is to you know, increase these zones of connectivity, you know, provide 
outlets for Chinese investment and, and, and really draw the region into its economic orbit. This surely will be profitable for China. Do you expect this will also bring revenue to the Myanmar junta? From the Myanmar junta's perspective, uh, you know, I think this is viewed as one of their only options for international investment, right? I mean, you know, given the sanctions and overall international, um, you know, concern about the instability and the junta's human rights record, you know, investment's not going to be easy to find. And so China's going to be one of the main, you know, partners for the junta going forward. And so they're very eager to, to encourage any Chinese investment that they can. Of course, you know, a lot of this, I think, is going to be more beneficial for the Chinese companies uh, than necessarily the people of Myanmar, as we've seen in a few instances. Some of these Belt and Road projects have caused a lot of, um, you know, concern on the ground. What are some of those concerns on the ground from locals in these areas? I think in general, um, the fear here is that there's not going to be a lot of regulatory oversight with these investments, right? Essentially, these companies are going to have free reign. Uh, I think in, the, in a large sense, just because the junta is so eager to move this forward. And obviously it's not accountable to any sort of democratic will or transparency rules. And so, you know, I think these are very legitimate concerns by the local population. You know, on the one hand, you have concerns about displacement, right? So land seizures or, or people being forced out. You have environmental concerns. You know, obviously the rare earth mining gets a lot of attention internationally. You know, the, those, those tend to be very environmentally damaging. Um, and for instance, the Kyokpu port, um, there's concerns about, again, people being displaced and then the fishing impact on, on local fishermen's livelihoods. Generally, I think the fear here among many people in Myanmar is that they're not going to see the benefits, the economic benefits of these projects. It's going to be going to the junta predominantly and then the, the companies uh, from China that are investing in it. How likely or what time frame are we looking at for completion of these corridors? I think at the end of the day, it's, I wouldn't expect a ton of progress. Uh, I think the instability in Myanmar is going to continue. The war is is continuing to escalate, and it's unlikely that that'll go away for the foreseeable future. So really, these investments are, I would say, actually, from, from the Chinese perspective, I, I would argue that they're making a mistake here. Uh, you know, this is the junta is not a reliable partner, and, and their ability to actually carry these out. I mean, look, their economic mismanagement of country in general uh, is, is a pretty stark record. So I wouldn't bet a lot of money that these will be coming to fruition anytime soon. Um, the other element I would, I would raise is, you know, there's been fighting along some of the areas that, that this China-Myanmar economic corridor is, is targeting. For instance, recently in the last month or so, the Tong National Liberation Army has been fighting with the juntas, you know, in, in a very uh, sharp increase in, in incidents. And that's near the Meuse-Rayli uh, uh, border area, which is one of these free trade areas that's been cited. And, and so this instability is going to continue to derail these projects. Thank you, Lucas. Is there anything else you'd like to share on the topic? I think I would say overall that this is one of China's main interests in Myanmar. And it's one of the reasons that they're so invested in, in the country and, and, and paying so much attention to it. And I think China, despite the instability, despite the junta's incompetence, they're making this bet that the junta will, will come out on, the, on top at the end. And, and I think the Chinese really want to push this forward so that they can gain you know, their strategic advantage and economic uh, advantage. But also, really, I think they're trying to um, you know, give the junta some, any help they can. I mean, as we've seen over the last year, Beijing has really ramped up its support for the junta um, much more than in comparison to 2021 or 2022. That was Lucas Myers of the Wilson Center.
And now for a report on the war against the junta, the latest news from the ongoing conflict. Resistance fighters have killed at least 137 regime forces and allied militia members in the last week or so of clashes. How far is the military soldiers from this point? Uh, about uh, 1,500 meters. Over there, you see the pagoda? Yeah. There is their place. Sometimes we attack and sometimes they attack. They attack us. Last month, we walked among the ruins of Tantlong Town with Chinland Defense Force fighters. This week, 13 Chin resistance members were killed in a failed attempt to take Hunta bases on that strategic mountaintop. In Kachin State, Hunta troops arrested at least 30 residents for use as human shields during an advance on Pakhan Town. A displaced civilian was killed and two others injured in airstrikes in eastern Kia State. In the Zagang region, Hunta troops killed nine people in Zagang and Wetlet townships in raids beginning last week. Five People's Defense Force members were beheaded. A woman taking shelter in a monastery was raped and killed. And over 10,000 residents have fled recent Hunta attacks. The regime is trying to mobilize support from locals near the capital of Naypyidaw, handing out supplies and providing health services. That comes as resistance attacks near that political center. The Tong National Liberation Army says their troops clashed with Hunta soldiers 13 times in August in northern Shan State. In the Maguey region, the military killed two elderly residents and torched around 80 homes. And the Cluster Munition Coalition has condemned the military's recent use of cluster bombs. The Irrawaddy collected the following reports from People's Defense Force and ethnic armed organization sources. You can find more at the Irrawaddy's website in the section called War Against the Junta. The regime has killed at least 4,029 civilians since the coup. That's according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. In early May, violence erupted in the Indian state of Manipur between the ethnic majority Meitei people and the Kuki minority. That state borders Myanmar's Zagang region. The spark was a law that gave Meitei's special tribal legal status similar to what the Kukis enjoyed. But tensions existed under the surface for a while between the groups. The Meitei's aren't only greater in number than Kukis and other related hill tribes, but generally have more economic and political power. One Kuki man who grew up in Manipur and goes by the name Sam was visiting home when the violence began. He and his family heard reports of clashes late in the evening. And after two, three hours, by four or five, the violence has spread to all parts of Manipur. And it has reached Imphal so quickly, like a wildfire. When it reached his community in Impal, he fled with his family. That was just as Meitei groups arrived. Then that evening, we were hiding in a place and from a distance. We were seeing how our houses were uh, being torched down, hearing the explosives of the, the gas cylinders. It was so scary. The people you knew before, your own friends, now they are looking towards you and they are on the other side and you're on the other side and they are trying to kill you and they are chasing you. Something which, which was like a nightmare, actually. He says his entire village was burned to the ground. He made it to the protection of an Indian army base, but many weren't so lucky. Around 200 have died and hundreds have been injured in the violence so far. So I think what we are witnessing today is essentially, in many ways, it's unprecedented in Manipur's history or in the history of Northeast India, which is that we're, we're witnessing something which looks very close to a civil war. 
That's Ang Shiman Chodroy. He's a researcher at the Center for Policy Research, New Delhi. Some in India have blamed the violence on the conflict next door in Myanmar. Manipur has seen an influx of refugees, which include Kuki and their ethnic relatives, the Chin. Those two groups, along with the Mizo people, mostly located just south in Mizoram, India, make up the larger Zo ethnic group. The Indian state of Mizoram has now welcomed both Kuki IDPs from Manipur and Chin refugees from Chin state. So what we are seeing essentially is that this entire issue, this refugee crisis, uh, is being is been is been completely weaponized in a way by the Imphal government to 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 shore up Meitei nationalism, you know, um, to 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 bolster their own political narrative about Manipur being under threat and them stepping into protecting Manipur. He thinks the Manipur violence was caused internally by policies that have long fomented resentment. And he says the further militarization of the Indian and Myanmar border could impact refugees fleeing the brutal fighting in the Zagang region. Here's an Indian MP from Mizoram responding to the insinuation that Manipur tribal groups like the Kukis were Burmese, not Indian. The Honorable Chairman, and the Honorable Chairman, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm from the state of Mizoram. I'm the state, from the state of Mizoram. I am the tribal MP. Honorable Home Minister said that the tribal people in Manipur are Myanmarese. We are not Myanmarese. We are Indian. We have been living there before British administration. We have been living There are Kuki and Meitei armed groups in Myanmar where they find themselves on opposing sides of that conflict too. Here's Chodroy again on Meitei groups in Myanmar. Many of them have actually are currently operating bases, running bases inside Myanmar in Zagain region um, with the blessings of the Myanmar junta. Uh, and there's a, there's a mountain of evidence to suggest that. And the military is essentially allowing them to run these bases and operate from Myanmar in exchange for their mercenary services in fighting the PDFs. The civilian national unity government has told Myanmar refugees sheltering in India to not participate in the conflict. Even the Kuki National Army, Burma, a relatively small group, has publicly claimed their fighters are not in Manipur. The border is porous between India and Myanmar. Weapons are known to cross it, but it seems anti-junta groups aren't looking to provoke the Indian government. With conflict impacting both Kuki and Chin people and Mizo groups offering refuge and support, there's been a strengthening of ties and possibly identity between these Zo groups. We definitely are seeing uh, trans-border uh, ethnic solidarities within the Kuki Zo Chin space being uh, built in many ways. I think it'll take us a little more time to understand what exactly this means in the medium to long term, but suddenly uh, Zo nationalism has strengthened. Sam from Manipur agrees. Like, blood is thicker than water. So before, of course, it's not that we were like hating each other or we for have forgotten that we are brethren, but it has now strengthened us. It has now bring us closer. It's unclear what that might mean for northeastern Indian politics, let alone the Myanmar side. The conflict in Manipur doesn't seem to be cooling anytime soon. In Myanmar, from the Zagang region through Chin State, that goes double. You've been listening to the Irrawaddy Newscast. You can find the stories mentioned here in the show notes, as well as a way to support the Irrawaddy's reporting. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.